Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I'm presenting a verse-by-verse study through Ephesians, and in the previous message I was in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11, which says, In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. And in the previous programs I was explaining that the predestination that is described here in Ephesians chapter 1 has to do with the Jew and the Gentile being predestined to become one in Christ Jesus. God did not predestine all things, but he did predestine some things. And this is one of the things that he predestined because he knew that there would eventually be a rebellion within humanity, and that, of course, did not take very long. Adam and Eve violated the law of God. They ate from the wrong tree. And when they did, they spiritually died. They died spiritually in the sense that the Spirit of God that was breathed within them, that made them into a living person, was withdrawn. And so they no longer had the Spirit of God dwelling within them because they decided to reject Him and go on in life without Him, with the knowledge of good and evil, believing that if they only knew what was good and what was evil, they could do that which is good, not do that which is evil, and they could be much better than who they once were. They could be like God, but of course turned out to be a satanic lie, and that resulted in the entire fall of humanity, such that everyone who has been born ever since has been born in the image of Adam. God knew that there would be this rejection of him, and so he established, he predetermined how he would solve this problem for those who would want to know him as a person, those who would want to have a place with him among the living. They would have to become a living person. They would have to be born again. They would have to be made into a new creation. And so he predetermined how this would be accomplished. This would be accomplished with a Messiah. The Messiah would die for the sins of the world. And part of what God accomplished through dying for the sins of the world was that he fulfilled the requirements of the law that he gave to define the nation of Israel. The law that he gave to define the nation of Israel, known as the law of Moses, was what divided the Israelite from all the other nations, set them apart, made them separate, because they had a different law that they would live by that was very different from all the other systems of laws that the other nations lived by. That is the Old Covenant, and eventually the predominant tribe of Judah did survive, along with the tribe of Benjamin and about half the Levites, and these people were recognized as the Jews during the time when God manifested in the flesh as Jesus, and he conducted his ministry until he died and resurrected from the dead. But when he did, 
he was able to give to humanity the offer of the Holy Spirit for those who would believe and trust in him and in the new covenant that he defined according to the good news which we recognize as the gospel. The forgiveness of sins fulfilled the demands of the law. The law demanded obedience or death. That's a reasonable summary of the law. We certainly could not obey, and our life wasn't worth giving, and so God gave his own in our place, therefore fulfilling the demands of the law. When he fulfilled the law, as I was explaining in the previous program, this division between the Jew and the Gentile was taken away. Now, of course, the people have kept this division in place ever since. Those who have not embraced the new covenant have maintained this barrier, have kept it alive, even though God has effectively taken it away. Even those very few Jews who decide to live their life somewhat in accordance with the Mosaic law, even they will need to let go of the law, even after they get saved, if they do, if they embrace the Messiah for who he is, they will be saved. When I was saved, it took me a while to let go of the law. I needed God to reveal to me how he used each and every one of the laws in order to reveal himself what their purposes were for and what he accomplished through them before I was personally able to let those things go. But between the time when I got saved and the time when I let go of the law, even though I kept this barrier alive, the Lord still dwelled within me through his Holy Spirit, and he was still able to guide me and teach me and work with me in the midst of my circumstances and in the state of growth that I was in. So even should you discover someone who is trying to live like a Jew, whether they are a Jew or they are not, if they are trying to live according to the Mosaic law, that doesn't mean that they're not saved. It does not mean the Holy Spirit does not dwell within them. I am a person who can testify of that. A person can very well be saved and they just simply need to grow and mature in the faith that they entered into. But in the meantime, people do keep this barrier alive such that People distinguish between the Jew and the Gentile. But from God's perspective, there is no such thing anymore, really. He took the barrier away, and so he doesn't see Jewish people and Gentile people. He just sees people. He sees you. He sees me. And he reaches out to each one of us that we may know who he is. So continuing into verse 12, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 12, that we who first trusted in Christ, should be to the praise of his glory. Who were the ones who first trusted in Christ? Paul is referring to himself and the other Jews who were there in Jerusalem when the new covenant went into effect, when the first group of people were saved and became the church of God, the body of Christ, through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. And when that occurred, God was known in a different way than how he was known before. Not because he was any different, but because there were things about him that were not yet revealed until the new covenant went into effect. This is the glory of God or the glorification of God. It is the revelation 
of who he is as a person. To glorify, to be described as the glory of, these are just glorified words to describe the making known of a person. And this is done through praise. This is done through thankfulness, expression of gratitude, of appreciation. For what? For what he did and for what he gave and for what he continues to do and what he continues to give. Through the Jews first, he was praised and he was glorified in the context of him being the Messiah, in the context of him being the Christ, the Savior, the one who would make the dead alive, who would make us who were once dead in our trespasses and sins alive in Christ Jesus. And I'll refer to the following chapter, chapter 2, in just a moment when it comes to that. But continuing into verse 13, he says, In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, referring to the Gentiles in Ephesus, who he is writing to. You also trusted. Trusted what? Trusted the truth. That's what they trusted. They believed the truth that God revealed. And they responded to that truth, which is an expression of, of faith. They had faith in God, faith in his Messiah, faith in how he saved humanity, how he saved them. Continuing in verse 13, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Continuing into verse 14, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. That's the end of verse 14. It's a continuation of the idea presented in verse 12, that just as the Jews were initially the ones who were to the praise of his glory, then when the Gentiles believed in the gospel of our salvation, they also became a living person to the praise of his glory, to the expression of thankfulness for who he genuinely is, if we were to interpret this on the basis of what those words actually imply. And then from there, our life in Christ becomes a discovery of the inheritance that we have, how we may be able to apply it, and it becomes a life of discovering more and more about the person of our God to increase our thankfulness, appreciation, knowledge, and understanding of who he is as a person. Now, going back to the salvation that they believed in, this is in verse 13, the gospel of your salvation. The gospel has to do with the forgiveness of sins and the restoration of the Holy Spirit to make us alive from the dead. In most cases, people understand the gospel in the context of the forgiveness of sins. In fact, many people will say that that is salvation. The forgiveness of sins is salvation. That if your sins are forgiven, then you will be recognized as being holy and you will have a place in the kingdom of heaven because, of course, you belong there. Because your sins have been forgiven because you have accepted the forgiveness that he has offered. I personally see the gospel a little differently. I don't reject what it is that people will generally say in the context of salvation being about getting your sins forgiven. 
I do believe in the forgiveness of sins, but I believe that the forgiveness of sins is what makes salvation possible, but that forgiveness in and of itself is not salvation. Forgiveness makes it possible for us to receive the Holy Spirit so that we could be made spiritually alive and there would be no sin that would cause the Holy Spirit to depart from us ever again. That's what the complete forgiveness of sins is for and what it's about, so that we will never die again once we have been made spiritually alive. But it is being made spiritually alive that is your salvation. And so this is why I will say that the whole world has been forgiven, but those who reject the gospel in terms of salvation by the restoration of the Holy Spirit are just a bunch of forgiven dead people and they will not have a place among the living. Looking forward just a little bit into Ephesians chapter 2, you can see in verse 1, this is Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, And you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins. Continue to verse 5, this is Ephesians chapter 2, verse 5, Even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. I will, of course, speak a lot about these verses when I get to them. But going back into verse 13 in chapter 1 again, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, he says, In him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. And in the previous message, I suggested that there will be more to our inheritance that will be given to us once we physically die. But that which we need, that which will apply in our lives today and now, is what we have right now. And that turns out to be the Holy Spirit himself. So we are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise in verse 13 in the sense that we will never lose what we have. We will never die spiritually again. This is possible because of the complete forgiveness of sins. And we are made into a new creation that we will never be unmade from, in effect. So we are sealed in the sense that there is a permanence to who we now are because of what God has done for us and because his spirit is upon us, within us, within the core of our spirit to use these descriptions in order to get a better idea of what it means to be sealed. But once we're sealed, there's no undoing this seal. We have the Holy Spirit that was promised that was given to us because that is the truth. God made the promise. He declared that he would give his spirit to anyone who would genuinely surrender to the new covenant in the sense of accepting the forgiveness of sins because a person recognizes their need for the forgiveness of sins. They recognize their condition of being spiritually dead. They realize that they have no hope outside of his grace and mercy, that their works will mean nothing. There is a lot that can be known, but our God can be trusted to make the right decision concerning the condition of a person's heart. And for those who he knows have a genuine desire to be in his life, to know him, to have a relationship with him, 
that he is willing to have with them, he will make them alive. He will give those who are genuine, who are true, his spirit to make them spiritually alive. And we can believe this because he said so. Because this is something that he has declared. So we are to believe because it is the truth. Now, there are other ways that you may be able to know that the Holy Spirit of God dwells within you. But this is going to be an individual experience. I certainly cannot teach this. I cannot give you the description of how you will know that this is real because it's something that happens between God and each one of his children. But this is something that you could ask other people. You can ask them, well, how is it that you know that the Holy Spirit of God dwells within you? And people may have, or they may not have, a testimony concerning this. Even if they don't have a testimony concerning this, that doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit does not dwell within them. But you may encounter some people who can testify as to why they have the conviction that the Holy Spirit of God dwells within them. My own personal testimony when it comes to this has to do with my understanding of the scriptures. Because there was a day when I was very sincere about wanting to understand the New Testament. And I would study it and study it. And I had no idea what was being talked about, what was being explained in the New Testament. I had no idea. I kept reading and reading and reading. And it was easy for me to fall asleep while reading it because I didn't understand what I was reading anyway. So my mind would wander. I would think about other things or nothing. And the rhythm of what I was trying to do would eventually just put me to sleep simply because I didn't understand anything about what I was reading. Now, today, I would not dare try to read the Bible just before bed because it keeps me awake because there is so much more that I see and that I understand that it's just simply exciting. And I can't go to sleep if I start reading the scriptures before bed, so I don't do that anymore. But that is a way of understanding the difference between when I was spiritually dead and when I was spiritually alive. Because when I became alive, when I understood the gospel of sin, death, forgiveness, and the restoration of life, I could go through the scriptures and it was as if someone had snuck in when I wasn't looking and rewrote them all. Because now there were parts that I could understand. I just read a moment ago from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. I read that before when I was dead in trespasses and sins and could not understand a word of what Paul wrote. Because I was dead. I was spiritually dead. But when he made me alive because I found out and I believed the gospel that was referred to in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13... Then he made me alive. And when he made me alive, I could read through a verse like this and know, yes, I understand what he's talking about. I was dead. Now I have been made alive. But this was a spiritual revelation to me. To me, it was a spiritual revelation. I know intellectual revelations very well. 
I know what it is to pick up a textbook and study it and learn all that the author wants me to know and understand. I have done that many, many, many times. But with the Bible, it's completely different. There was no way that I could use the same approaches, techniques, and methodologies to try to study and learn and understand anything that was in there because these things are spiritually discerned. And when I could see the difference between something that I could learn, understand, and discover through an academic exercise, I know the academic exercise of learning from a book just fine. When I could see the difference between that and what God did within me, to me, that was a testimony of God. He testified to me that his spirit was definitely within me to illuminate things such as this, to open my eyes and so that I can see through his eyes, so that I can understand through his mind as he reveals the truth of himself to me. And this was my own personal living experience. I can testify of it, but I definitely cannot teach it. Since then, I have encountered a lot of people who could say the same thing, that in that way they had confidence that the Holy Spirit of God was dwelling within them, that they were sealed by the Holy Spirit. I ran across many people who could give this same testimony, others who couldn't, but that doesn't mean that the Spirit of God does not dwell within them. That just meant that they had other testimonies. They had other ways that they would be able to say with confidence that the Spirit of God dwelled within them. And so I'm going to encourage you to simply seek the Lord, to continue to pursue the knowledge of the truth, and be attentive, because eventually I personally have the conviction that He will show each one of His children in a unique way, in His own way, and in a way that they can appreciate that. He will show that He is definitely with them. It can be as simple as expressing prayer, such as asking God a question. This has happened to me many times when I've asked God a question about somebody or something that I was seeing, the circumstances that I was in the midst of. I have asked him many times, what do you see going on here? What do you understand? And the Lord speaks to me about these things. I would say that he does because what comes to mind is something that I am very confident I would have never thought of on my own. And as long as it's consistent, it's not contradictory to what I know about the things that he has already revealed that we can study and read about in the scriptures, then I can trust that it is of the Holy Spirit and not one of the unholy spirits that is making that revelation known to me. But when this happens, this is a way of understanding that the Spirit of God is with me, that he is within me, that he has made me alive, that I really am a child of God. Through that, I trust in the truth that he has revealed more. And when I discover other truths that he reveals, even though I may not have a testimony similar to being made alive by the Holy Spirit, I may not have a similar testimony when it comes to these other truths. I can still believe them because I believe that God is within me, within my spirit, and he will never leave me. He will never forsake me.
and I will continue with this in the next program. You've been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net